it is not possible to live as one heart and one soul without Christ giving you his heart and soul. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, in a seedy motel with Dave, the Holy Spirit, the principal agent of Mission Van Vickel. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> it was a ridiculous, ridiculous uh, Yeah, it nickname. was. It was, but I knew it was going to come from the document, so I wasn't all that surprised. Yeah, but it's also true. Yeah. You are the principal agent of evangelization. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm whispering into people's ears. Go out. <laughs> this Go is out. where you say God loves you. <laughs> so Dave, I have a, a confession to make to you. Yeah. Okay. I went to the bookstore when we were doing our Ascension Press thing and I spent $116 on books that I could have Amazoned, but they're there. And now I don't even have a suitcase that can carry them. So the mistake, the biggest mistake you made. Mm-hmm is you're supposed to stop in the alumni office first and they give you a 25% off gift card. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I did try to pull this. I walked up to the cash register and I said, hey, is there a speaker's discount? There, you, you did not say I that. absolutely did because sometimes there is. Sometimes. And yeah, she but goes, well, how would you verify that you were a speaker? Well, I would do this. I would put my hands underneath my chin and go, doink, doink, doink. <laughs> and I blink my eyes really cute and innocent life. I would throw you out. I know. I know. But no, they, this is what they said. They said, Oh no, we canceled it this year. Are you serious? Yeah. And I was like, oh. that I wouldn't have been angry, but now, <laughs> now I'm yeah, so but you angry. You get the 25% off alumni discounts. Probably better. Well, you're than an alumni too. I know, but I don't all right. You know what? We're supposed to be talking about. Okay. Okay. But about, can I tell you the books I got? Yeah. Okay. Well, I love the witty banter at the beginning of the show. Oh, uh, number one, Walker Percy lost in the cosmos. Love you ever it. read that? I, I'm obsessed with Walker Percy. Yes. Are you really? I love him. Did we just become best friends again? I love him so much. $4. It's a used book from a student that clearly did not do the reading. I love that. $4. Okay. I got The Complementarity of Women and Men, Philosophy, Theology, Psychology, and Art. And Art. Okay. No, you're, that's not, you're I, yawning. I so. You're not I excited. Guess so. I guess it's okay. Unraveling Gender, The Battle Over Sexual Difference by John Grabowski, who uh, helped edit the new... Nothing. Your face says nothing. He helped edit the new theology of the body. Okay. Catholic university. He's All a great right. guy. Cool. Him and his wife, they wrote a Whoa. marriage book. Sexual identity, the harmony of philosophy, science, and revelation actually, by John Finley. I mm -hmm. actually do want that one. Okay. Okay. And then lastly, of course, an atonement theology book. What is redemption? How Christ's suffering save us by Philippe de la Trinité. Oh, do you know what? Oh, I already have it. Uh, but I did want to ask, talk to you about, have you, you haven't gotten that new atonement book from Ignatius? From what? a lady at St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park. No. What? Oh, it's really good. It's really good. I've only read the first chapter because oh, I was preparing for this. More. It's so good. I can't remember. Ah, this kid. This kid over here. Atonement theology, like if I do nothing else with my life but atonement theology, I think I'll be a, a happy slash chubby man. I like for that. I would be just so totally happy. Right. I love that theology. It right. Is the other day, okay, I have a funny little quip about atonement theology and you. Okay, go on. The other day, somebody called me to ask me my opinion of speakers on spiritual warfare. Yeah. And I was super annoyed. Because you're a speaker on spiritual warfare? Yeah. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I can easily speak 
why why are you not having me? Well, like you, but not you per se. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and then I and I was trying to explain it to my wife, and I was like, it would be like kind of like if I were to call Gomer and be like, Gomer, do you know a really dynamic speaker on the atonement? And then she was like, What does that mean? Because she doesn't listen to our podcast. Yeah, and she, yeah, and yeah. so she did not get the context. Oh, Anyways, oh, I want to continue on with this document because I'm most excited. I think I, I think I'm most excited about this episode. We'll okay. see how it turns out. See, I'm least excited about this episode. Why? Okay. So I'm I want your excitement. Imagine I'm the listener. <laughs> Imagine I'm the listener. You gotta you gotta stoke my furnace. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about a, a few things in particular, but the Pope really gets into particular. So we're in chapter three here. Of what document? <laughs> Missio of the Mission of the Redeemer. <laughs> you tried to go all Latin there. Panic, panic. Missio comes second. Yeah. All right. Mission of the Redeemer, Redemptoris Missio. We are on, we're going to be starting on chapter three, the Holy Spirit, the principal agent of mission, of course. If it's about exorcism or the Holy Spirit, Dave Van Vickle's taking the lead. And this is paragraph <laughs> 21 and following. So we're going to do chapter three and five with a slight mention of chapter four. Yeah, we'll talk. I, it's yeah. just, you know, this document is so vast. So vast. We can't cover it in three episodes. So there is a little bit of skipping around. He starts it out by saying, at the climax of Jesus's messianic mission, the Holy Spirit becomes present in the Paschal mystery and all of his divine subjectivity as the one who is now to continue the salvific work rooted in the sacrifice of the cross. Mm. That's a weighted statement. And I think it would do our listeners good if we talked a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. What do, what do you think? Oh, Absolutely. The unknown God. You kind of got into it a little bit. You kind of got into the imminent Trinity versus the economic Trinity. Well, that was only when we were going through the reciprocity between faith and the sacraments and the sacramental economy. See that throwback episode? Because you were like, I want you to talk on that. And I think it's very important because when we we don't understand the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. And we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, 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 for years, I thought it was like the force yeah. like from Star Wars. Yeah, it was impersonal. It yeah. was like God's right. love or God's presence. But here's the deal. God's love is so real that it is a person. It's right. the infinite third person of the Trinity that bonds the Father to the Son in infinite reciprocal love. Right. The gift of self from the Father to the Son, the gift of self received and returned of the Son back to the Father. And that very bond of, the, of love that unites Father to Son for all eternity within the Godhead, Jesus pours into our heart. Right. So just pause and think of that mystery. That right. the Holy Spirit is given to us. The very thing that bonds God to God, light to light, true God to true God, Jesus is now pouring into our hearts so that we can remain we, but be united to him. Right. Right? Like, we're not Buddhists. See, this is the difference that the Holy Spirit makes. We don't believe that our, or Hindus or whatever, that our souls migrate up to the divine and then are like a drop in the ocean. They get absorbed into infinity. No, we still remain ourselves, which to me is why the Catholic doctrine of justification is so important that we don't divorce justification from sanctification. Right, right. Because we're called to be holy because that's who we'll be for all eternity. Right. I don't know why my voice is going like this. <laughs> yeah, because it's exciting. So, it so when it, the in the eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is what catches us into that, what yeah. puts us into that. So, you know, it, it's important to understand that, like, the church, you know, we like the old phrase smells and bells, you know, like yeah. the incense and the bells and everything. It's not just like a fraternity ceremony. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not just a reenactment. It's not just those things. It is a real thing. And when the when the Paschal mystery is accomplished, the Holy Spirit is what now takes over really in yeah. catching us into that 
and presenting us to the Father with Jesus Christ, you know, presenting that sacrifice to the Father. Yeah, and so when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, like um, Dr. Han used to always say, you could change the title of Acts of the Apostles almost through the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's right? cool. Yeah, right? Isn't that great, right? So you have the the choosing of the replacement of Judas. You have the Pentecost moment in chapter two, the first charismatic homily of the six or eight charismatic homilies in Acts preached right then on Pentecost. 3,000 are added, but then the Spirit falls, Spirit falls, Spirit falls. Things are changing and it proceeds conversion and it precedes evangelization to prepare God's people. So righteous Jews receive the Holy Spirit and that's the sign of Paul and Peter to go preach and Gentiles Cornelius, right? He receives these incredible gifts of the Holy Spirit offered uh, while he's praying at the ninth hour of the day. And Peter is sent to Cornelius. Peter's the first one to baptize a Gentile into Christianity. It's awesome where you see this. And, the, and it culminates in Acts 15 with the great council of Jerusalem. And how does the church go forward? We discern with the Holy Spirit, right? Right. So we have this physical manifestation of the kingdom on earth. And what gives it its soul? It's the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. It vivifies the church. And you see in the book of Acts, as Gomer just was pointing out, it like puts the advancement of the kingdom on hyperdrive. Yeah. Those who are docile to the Holy spirit have the kingdom flowing. Mm, I like that the kingdom flowing. So when we look in paragraph 22, all the evangelists, when they describe the risen Christ meeting with his apostles conclude with the missionary mandate, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, right? This is a sending forth in the spirit In John's gospel. Jesus breathes on them in Mark's gospel. He says, preach the gospel to every creature, all of this stuff. So it is this end of the earth, global vision that God has. And he does it by, and this is paragraph 22, send forth to the ends of the earth. That's what the power of the Holy spirit is meant to do to animate the missionary mandate of the apostles. Right. And so, uh, this is what does it for us today. It's not like something that ended at that time, but I also don't want it to be, we're not like limiting the Holy spirit to our understanding. And I think a lot of times Gomer that our understanding in America is more of like a charismatic renewal sense of the Holy spirit, mm -hmm. which is great and wonderful. But I also don't think that's not where it stops, right? Like the Holy spirit is working even outside of like special charisms, yeah. even outside of like, like miracles, mm -hmm. the Holy spirit is working miracles constantly in people's hearts is constantly drawing out. This is why he says it's the principal agent of mission of the church. Yeah. And it reminds me of that great phrase. If you were to go, if someone sent you into a graveyard to raise the dead, who I would love you take? This. I always wondered when I, you've told this before. Yeah, I Francis Chan is the one that came up with that. Who would you take? a good band leader. He said, no, you would take the person who prays the best that, you know, you would take someone who's animated by the Holy spirit because only the spirit can give life, can make these dry bones come alive. And so when we look at our culture and we see a culture of death, we see a culture of apathy and indifference. We already have an inside agent as it were. We already have someone behind enemy lines. The Holy spirit is already alive and active in people's hearts. And so what we want to do, is allow the Holy Spirit access to our own hearts as much as humanly possible, like they did in Pentecost. So, so in chapter 26, he talks about chapter. How, oh, sorry. Paragraph, paragraph 26. <laughs> sorry. This is for all the folks at home following along. Yeah, right. Paragraph 26. He talks about how um, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is, is creates community. He, uh, we draw people into a community and he says something interesting about this community. He says, one of the central purposes of mission is to bring people together in hearing the gospel in fraternal communion, in prayer, 
and in the Eucharist. To live in fraternal communion, koinonia, means to be of one heart and one soul. And I, and I want to point something out about this. Because I think we, we do get sidetracked a lot in Catholic work. Yes. Specifically those who are, who are employed by the church. It, it is not possible to live as one heart and one soul without Christ giving you his heart and soul, right? So we try to do this in a million ways. Like yeah. we could have oh, yeah, listening sessions or we could have sessions where we, you know, try to do forgiveness for each other. Or we have different, different obstacles that we try to tear out so that we can live fraternally. But what the Pope is saying is like, this is something that transcends that. This is a deeper unity, a unity of one heart and one soul, which really, and I'm putting words in the Pope's mouth, <laughs> can only be accomplished in a Eucharistic community, yeah. meaning that Christ has changed our hearts and made us one. In Acts 2.42, which is at the end of Pentecost, there is this great um, connection. He said, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. And I think of those four things, the apostles teaching, the doctrine teaching of the church, the gospel, the fellowship, the Christian community, koinonia, the breaking of the bread, the Eucharist, the liturgy and the prayers, devotion, right? And if you look at it from that perspective, so like your personal spiritual life, right. the corporate spiritual life, the meeting together in fellowship and whatnot, and uh, apostolic teaching, think about this. They devoted themselves, and that's how you knew the Holy Spirit were animated among them. And here's the deal. If you're really good in liturgy, that doesn't mean that you're you're allowed to fail at community. Right. And if you're really good at community, it doesn't mean that you're allowed to fail in liturgy. Yeah, sure. And I, I, I gave a... Um, a thing one time, a parish mission and uh, at a church, and I did a staff retreat afterwards. And this priest was really great on liturgy. And he told me after my first talk, I didn't want to have you here because I know you're obsessed with community and I hate that crap. And he's like that wussy crap. It's not important. Wow. He's like, if we have community, it comes from the Eucharist. I said, yes, something comes from the Eucharist called community. Like, so that thing we actually have to focus on, right? right. And I, so I, the whole next talk I gave, I just gave to him in front of his staff. And I was like, you are not allowed to say, look how good I am at doctrine and not care about individuals. Look how good I am about liturgy and not care about a personal prayer life, right? So we need to foster all of these at 100%. That's how we see, you know, us having, a, what, what is the phrase? That's how we're one of heart and soul, right? As Acts 4.32 says, like, so important. Yeah, awesome. In uh, paragraph 28, Pope John Paul, which is a common thing for him, will talk about how the Holy Spirit is present everywhere and active yeah. anywhere. We can't yeah. limit his power. And he even talks about, like, other religions and things like that, which is like, he, he has a great way of understanding yeah. the world. Um, and, and actually one time somebody who was like in the know told me that he often would meet with people from other religions and would know more about their religion than they knew about their religion, <laughs> which was, is, is amazing. Yeah. But, but one of the things that I just want to point out and we'll move on real quickly is to say there are other things in, in, in there are things in other religions like pagan religions. Okay that are true and beautiful is not to say they're not the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? Mm. The Holy Spirit is working in places that we, that maybe they don't acknowledge. Yeah. Right. It's not like, uh, yeah, Buddhism is true, but it's not, it's not as powerful a God as Christianity. That's not the way we're talking about. Right. Right. True, good, beautiful. They're movements of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It was interesting because I was reading the works of missionaries after Columbus 
And yeah. one of the things that they wrote to the Vatican about in advocating for the uh, abolishment of slavery of uh, Native Americans and uh, the proclamation of the gospel is they said, we have uncovered groups, peoples who believe in the heavenly father, who, who right. are not pagans. Right. They believe the in spirit. one God. Right. The great, yeah. And he's pure spirit. Right. And so they have this profound, now they also have lesser spirits and lesser deities, but he's like, they have a vision that is very, and when they began this one missionary, they said, well, tell us more about this God that, you know, your God that you're proposing. He started going in depth about God, the father and the group of these Indians ran and they went to like the chief of the tribe and they're like, he's speaking of, and they use their, your word. And they're like, we don't even speak about him anymore. He's too great. And he's like, well, he became one of us over in Jerusalem. And they were like, what? You know, so, so there awesome. is, there is the spirit is cultivating in the hearts of people a longing for Christ. So I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I have to tell you this awesome The people story. love the tangent. Right, right, right. So, so Carol Brown, who's yes. a Dr. Carol Brown, who's speaking at the conference. And on JP2 and evangelization. Right, yeah. And she's, a, that's what her thesis is on, is JP2. Yeah. Uh, she works now at a retreat center that is a Catholic, but Native American retreat center. Oh, and, right. That's right. Yeah. And she told me the other day that there was a long hundred years worth of prophecy that their worship was okay for now, but men in black would come, pale men in black would come and teach them the real religion. Isn't that amazing? That is crazy. And there are lots of stories like that. I know yeah. there's stories in Hawaii of like native Hawaiians of mm -hmm. like angels saying there's going to be people coming. There's a there's a well documented. I don't think she's a saint, but um, she wrote the City of God, Blessed uh, Maria of Agreda, of Agreda. She appeared. The City of Ladies. No. What? No. No. no the City of Ladies is the no, same. Okay. No, okay. It's okay. Not okay. City okay. of Ladies. Okay. Not city of God. All right. All right. Maria of Agreda. She appeared to Native Americans and preached the gospel to them like a thousand years or something like that before Columbus actually discovered. The United States, or like hundreds of years, or something like that. I mean, it, it is it is amazing to think from from uh, the Wikipedia page. Her bilocation activity is said to have occurred between her cloistered monastery in rural Spain and the Jumano Indians of central New Mexico and West Texas, awesome. as well as Tucson, and inspired many Franciscan missionaries in the New World. <laughs> so, so this wow. is so, so that's amazing. And so, what I want to say to you is like. Look, I've never I, heard of that before in my life. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. The Holy Spirit is constantly working. And anyone who evangelizes on the margins yeah. will tell you stories mm -hmm. of miraculous or like incredible things happening where the Holy Spirit is preparing someone or changing hearts or doing things that you never would have dreamed of. Yeah. And I think it's because there's this radical, like, an entire way of life is being let go in a lot of ways for the gospel. Like there's like this raw energy about it. I mean, you're hearing all the people that in the Arab countries when ISIS started going nuts and yeah. all the refugees. Yeah. I mean, it would be one thing if you heard it here and there, but there well, are literally hundreds, of thousands, hundreds right? of thousands of people have reported seeing Christ Mary or right. an angel appear before them and tell them to accept the gospel of Christianity. And then, uh, you know, like they're like, we got, we got to do this. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. It's cra I've heard testimonies and they're and they're And so this is the Holy spirit is active. And yeah. when we don't see it, it's because we've become too comfortable to let the Holy spirit's unbridled activity happen in our own hearts and our own lives. And I was telling this to teens, right? The going forth talk at a youth conference. I'm like, 
I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You ready? Drum roll. GK Chesterton said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, but try, found difficult and left untried. And I said, the reason why you're bored with Christianity is it's just words on a page to you. It's like, say yes to the Holy Spirit right now. Like, don't say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Say, God, what do you want me to do right now? And I say yes to it. Regardless of what you tell, I say yes to it. And you just live the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I said, you're going to do a radical things. Yeah. Prison ministry, your exorcism ministry, working with addicts in recovery. This is the gospel on the fringes, and that's where people see these manifestations of the Spirit in incredible ways. So that's the perfect segue into, I just want to jump really quickly into chapter four, which is the vast horizons of the mission at Gentes. There's just one point I want to make about this, right? Okay. The point is this. God sent the apostles to all the earth, right? We are to send the gospel, to preach the gospel to every human being, to every part of humanity. One of our duties is to find out where the gospel is not being preached mm -hmm. and preach the gospel there. And since you brought up people on the margins, one of the things that I was so shocked by, we just recently in the diocese had Father Sean Kilcolly come and talk about uh, pornography addiction and yeah. ministry. And he spent a, a considerable amount of time saying, the kerygma needs to be preached into the wounds, into the wounds. Mm. And I think that that is like, you're, a lot of you listening can't go to Africa. You can't go to the Middle East. You can't go, uh, you know, wherever. But the like, agentes is the wounded separate us from people too. The wounds separate yeah. us from society, from each other, from ourselves even. And you can go very far without leaving your house, without leaving your parish, and preach the gospel into the wounds that people hold. And, and you are accomplishing the mission at Gentis. Wow. Um, in paragraph 33, I just also want to point out, this is where he is arguing uh, for the validity of the mission at Gentis. It's not just about interreligious dialogue, like we said in the beginning, but this is where famously he gives the first uh, time he says the new evangelization or re-evangelization. Oh, he yeah. lays out the oh, three categories. Oh, is this categories. the very first time? Okay. Yeah. This wow. is the, well, this is where he lays out the three categories. Okay. So. First, there is where there are people who do not know Christ or they lack Christian community. This is the mission ad gentes in the proper sense of the term. Secondly, there are Christian communities with adequate and solid ecclesial structures, fervent in their faith and in Christian living. This is uh, the place where we have uh, pastoral care. This is the place of catechesis, right? A maturing and bearing witness to the gospel already exists. So then the third place, he says, thirdly, there is an intermediate situation particularly in countries with ancient Christian roots and occasionally in the younger churches as well, where entire groups of the baptized have lost a living sense of the faith or even no longer consider themselves members of the church and live a life far removed from Christ and his gospel. In this case, what is needed is a new evangelization or a re-evangelization. So there's a mission agentes to non-believers, catechesis to solid believers, and then the new evangelization or re-evangelization to those who had it but lost it. I love it. All right, this is my favorite chapter. We're going into chapter five here. The well, paths of mission. Paths of mission. It's so unbelievably practical. We're going to talk about literal like tools that the church has for evangelizing. These are things we've talked about for years, but we're hearing them from not only the Pope's mouth, not only the successor of Peter, not only one of the greatest popes of all time, but the, maybe one of the greatest missionaries of all time. Okay. Uh, he starts it out by saying missionary activity is nothing other and nothing less 
than the manifestation or epiphany of God's plan and its fulfillment in the world and in history. In this history, God, by means of missions, clearly accomplishes the history of salvation. What paths, he asked this question, what paths does the church follow in order to achieve this goal? Yeah, that was originally a quote from Vatican II. Right. On the document on the missions, a missionary activity of the church. And so he's framing this again, his inheritance of Vatican II. So here he goes. The mission is a single but complex reality, and it develops in a variety of ways. So he wants to point out some particular ways uh, for the present situation of the church. Yeah, and I want to I wanna particularly focus on three. The That's first, a lot of particulars the right there. The first is <laughs> the witness, personal witness, the yeah. charisma, yeah. and evangelizing communities. Okay. Mm evangelizing communities. So, you know, I'm sure you've heard this quote a million times, but he starts out uh, paragraph 42 by saying people put today, put more trust in witnesses than in teachers in experience than in teaching and in life and action than in theories. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Does it hit you a little bit? Oh, it, it hurts. It hits every time. me a little bit. Yeah. It hurts every time. Cause I love ideas. Yeah. I love theory. I me love too. theology. And I love teaching and I love asking questions and them asking yeah. questions. And I've realized that I'm most effective as an evangelist and catechist when I bring people into my home. Like I yeah. do that for inclusion. I have one day where I teach the class from home and it's pure chaos. And I tell them to invite their families, invite their kids. So my house could comfortably hold 20 and we'd have like 65 people. Love it. And we've had miraculous healings accidentally occur in that house. Like crazy things have happened, but it's so exhausting for me that I'm just like, well, we'll see how it goes this year. And then I don't do it. And when I don't do it, it's like, I remove my personal witness, you know, that personal, like the thing that costs me something, right. You know? And I'm just like, okay, I see it, Lord. I see it. Yeah. So, so recently, um, one of our cases who comes for prayer, I, I invited them over to our house. Yeah. And the exorcist who I work with was like, are you crazy? Like, why did you invite them over to the house? But he doesn't understand, like, that is me. Like, it's yeah. me letting you into my home and my family. And honestly, like, I'm not near as effective an evangelist as my kids or my wife. Like, mm. my kids just have a weird sense about hugging people when they need a hug or, you know, like asking them the right questions or things like that. And it's like, yeah, I could wait. I could wait and try to build that relationship or I could do it overnight pretty much and have that real relationship. Witnesses are so important. And so I, I, you know, I, I know so many catechists I've mentored catechists that this is the hurdle they couldn't get over. And it's the first step. And it's the first step. They (laughs) just couldn't get over the idea of the personal witness. It, and it was just like, why can't they just accept the truth? No, modern man can't do it. Yeah, modern man can't do it. The truth must always be embodied, incarnated, concretized in our individual human life. He says, the first form of witness is the very life of the missionary, of the Christian family, and of the ecclesial community, which reveal a new way of living. The missionary who, despite all his or her human limitations and defects, lives a simple life, taking Christ as the model, is a sign of God and of transcendent realities. And, and, and by the way, mm-hmm. he says in the last part of that paragraph, he says, the church is called to bear witness to Christ by taking courageous and prophetic stands in the face of corruption, a political or economic power by not seeking her own glory and material wealth, by using her resources to serve the poorest of the poor and imitating Christ's own simplicity of life. I think it's very important to understand that people will say, 
oh, those people uh, standing out in front of an abortion clinic, that, like they're not trying to evangelize. They're just trying to tell people that they're wrong. No, right. no, no. That is a prophetic stance. It's a yep. courageous prophetic stance of sharing the face of Christ. Where did Christ go? He went to sinners. He went to the dying. And that's where it is. And the thing I remind everyone, um, you know, we get a lot of pro-choice hate at my parish. We have protesters at my parish. Oh, really? Over, yeah. And they would come up and instead of doing outlandish stuff with their, you know, whatever that yeah. television show that they all dress up as, they cover their mouths when they go up for communion with the shush thing to show how we're silencing women's voices by being in favor of Roe. At least and, they're polite. Uh, yeah, at least they're polite. And uh, so it, it, it's crazy, but you see all this stuff and you have people like, just stay out of politics. And it's like, uh, no, no. no. Yeah. The the political order belongs to the church. Right. Now it's not going to talk about poli sci. Right. Right. What it's talking about is as it manifests human flourishing. And that's the point. And so we have to take prophetic stands in the face of corruption. So one of the slogans we get is you only care about preborn babies. And I always tell people when actually this man sitting right over here, Dave is the one that trained me in sidewalk counseling. And I will never forget those pro-choice escorts that got the women who were almost always sobbing hysterically right. into that door. No one was waiting for him when they shoot nope, them out the back door, no. except for us with counseling with whatever with a kind word with a we love you god heals you that kind of stuff i share that all the time because the pro-choice people are loud and they lie through their teeth about what pro-life people do for these women right so it's we are real. standing up to that that corruption absolutely gomer the next part is about the initial proclamation yeah. and i'm going to let you run because i'm about to give a talk on the charisma and i'm going to steal every single thing that you say <laughs> So when we talk about this proclamation, right, you have to preach the gospel. Me and Dave have talked about this so many times. It's not enough to say, well, here they'll, they'll convert because of the witness of my life. No, you have to use words. And when you don't use words, here's the problem. I don't think you really believe that Jesus is your savior, right? Cardinal George, you only evangelize that which you love. When my daughter was born, I put 250 photos out on Facebook when yeah. my firstborn was born the night before I fell asleep and he, she was born at eight o'clock at night. So I didn't even get into my room until like midnight. Yeah. And then I put all this stuff up. No one had to tell, well, do you love your daughter? Look at what I did. Right? Right. Like, right. Here's the deal. If you love Jesus, you're going to want to share Jesus yeah. unless you either don't love Jesus or don't love the people. Right. Right. And, and that's the thing that I have found when I'm working with gay men who are in a civil union and they're sitting there at my desk and they're talking to me, do you, what do you think I do? Do you think I like, well, you know, like it's really good to have you here and at least you're in the building. No, I evangelize them. Of course. I invite yeah. them into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And I use phrases and I've said this before. No man has loved you more than Jesus Christ crucified. No one in the history of humanity has ever loved you more. And you know what they say to me every single time I had a lesbian couple and a, and a gay couple, what they have said to me every single time is I have never heard, heard the gospel much. this way. Yeah. And they're crying in my office. They and desire Christ. By the way, by the way, we need to remind people it's not just those on the margins. Yeah. I've oh, yeah. I've preached oh, yeah. <laughs> at schools yeah. that were run by religious orders, and literally brothers from the religious order came up and said, I've been a brother for 24 years. I've never heard the gospel preached like that in my life. Yeah. That's a shame. So when you think about this, JP2 would talk in Catechesi Tridende, which is his document on catechesis. He would talk about explicitly how 
we have many Catholics who are baptized, who are basically sacramentalized, but not evangelized. This is where that initial proclamation, he says, proclamation is the permanent priority of mission. The church cannot elude Christ's explicit mandate, nor deprive men and women of the good news about their being loved and saved by God. In the complex reality of mission, Initial proclamation has a central and irreplaceable role since it introduces man into the mystery of the love of God who invites him to enter into a personal relationship with himself in Christ. Amazing. Yes. And that was a quote from the decree on missionary activity uh, at Gentes from the Second Vatican Council. Personal relationship <laughs> with Christ. All right. We're not done yet, but we want to go to a break here. Again, uh, find folks from Ascension Press. Probably have some great offerings for you. So take a look at ascensionpress.com. As always, please, we want to connect with you. Find uh, us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a rating. We would love to, to have that from you if you've been blessed by this. We'll be back. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and we know, right, as disciples of Jesus, we need to be encountering God's Word on a regular basis. We need God's Word to transform our minds, to move our hearts, and yet if you're anything like me, sometimes you sit down to read the Bible and just you fall asleep, or you get caught up in the names, in the events. It can be a confusing set of books. We've created an answer, and the answer, we think, is the Catholic Bible in a Year podcast. It is produced by Ascension and hosted um, by me. For more information, you can go to ascensionpress.com slash Bible in a year. Welcome back, good folks. Every knee shall bow your seasonal Catholic podcast on papal documents. <laughs> <laughs> so before Dave goes through the ecclesial basic communities as a force for evangelization, which sounds like special operators, right? This is like uh, the special forces. Um, I do want to say a couple things real quick. So proclamation is required, but we have done so much about the kerygma on this show in past episodes. I would love for you to go to the Ascension Press website, click media, click audio, and go through our free resources or get your podcast player and go back to how to give your testimony, how to bear witness, how to do. I mean, those are like our most downloaded episodes for a reason, because this is the basic gospel message. First witness, then proclaim. We have tons of stuff on that. But now Dave is going to talk to us about these uh, ecclesial basic communities. Well, okay. So remember that the backdrop for this episode is the Holy Spirit moving as the, as the moving force of evangelization, as the moving force of the mission of the church, one of those movements of the Holy Spirit is this relatively new phenomenon, I, I think. Yeah. And that is what he calls, well, he, he uses this phrase, ecclesial basic communities as a force for evangelization. He says, a rapidly growing phenomenon in the young churches, one sometimes fostered by the bishops and their conferences as a pastoral priority is that of ecclesial basic communities also known by other names. So I'm thinking things like Focalori, things like uh, the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, things like even, even things like Focus, even things like Net yeah. Ministries, these kind of things. I think that they would even fall under this. He says, which are proving to be good centers for Christian formation and missionary outreach. These are groups of Christians who at the level of the family or in a similarly restricted setting come together for prayer, scripture reading, catechesis, and discussion on human and ecclesial problems with a view to a common commitment. This is like basic formation for discipleship that we're talking about. These, these small communities of people, formation for discipleship. And what happens is when you form disciples, what happens? 
They become missionaries. They become apostles. It's a natural progression there. And so these communities can be a real driving force. And at the end, he, he basically said, they must be founded to live to on Christ and to live in him. And in particular, they should be Eucharistic. I mean, we should have the Eucharist as the center of our life, no matter what we're a part of. Yeah. And one of the things that when we interviewed father Josh and he was talking in his show about doing the Bible study on the discipleship of St. Peter. Yeah. Right. I love the idea of, of having groups that in a parish might not connect right. like mixed race groups, right? Whites and, yeah. and, and Latino population he was talking about, but getting people together and just studying the gospel together is so powerful because Christ in his body of flesh tore down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. But Christ is doing that still today. He is the reconciliation between us and the Father. And so if we have these divisions, then what we need to do is let Christ be the center of these, of, of tearing down these walls, right? I can imagine Ronald Reagan being like, uh, Jesus Christ, tear down this wall of oh hostility. Oh my gosh, that, no, was that, was that, that was the worst. That was one bad. of the worst. That was pretty bad. Go, so, yeah, go. What? What? Well, Don't no, you. he's about to talk about the incarnation of the gospel in culture. Exactly. So from small groups, how do you take over? How do you know that a, a civilization has been made Christian? What we don't want to say is the goal of Christianity is cultural Christianity right. because that's a non-existent Christianity. Right. Archbishop Gomez out in LA had this great line where he said, Jesus Christ did not die and rise from the dead in order to establish cultural Christianity. What we mean is the gospel incarnates in people's cultures and this is, this is important. Just the classic example is think of the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire became Christian, mortal combat in the gladiators, all that stuff, that ended. The exposure of infants, that ended, right? These things is when Christianity, when the gospel values, when the God of all becomes a slave, puts his establishment at the level of a slave, when the gospel radiates through the lowest of society, that's where cultural change happens almost at the quickest because it's people whose society has ignored. That's where the gospel goes to. Guess what? There's more of them than there are of the elites in society. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is what happened in the Roman Empire. Soon the elites, the aristocrats, all these people, they start having communion. They start coming into fellowship. They start living and being devoted to the apostles' teaching, and it begins to change structures within the culture. That's when you know the gospel is being lived, when the community itself, because the gospel, you could say, yes, it has its own culture, but it's also transcultural. That is, it can be at home in Africa as a can in India, as a can in America, right? But it takes a different shape and form in these different communities. But what it does is it brings with it its own set of, like we said, gospel values, and it begins to change and affect the way, you know, like, like I said, like mortal combat, people fighting each other to the death, you know, that was existing in China. I mean, me and Dave are going to do that. We're going to two men enter one men leave. But, um, in China, they were doing this up until like the 19 teens, they were having fights to the death until the famous movie fearless, uh, that Jet Li started his character that he portrays, he changed it into a tournament. Right. And then that became kind of the standard, but like w this was not long ago. Right. And this is right. the Christian gospel. It needs to enter into the roots of society and to begin to change it. And so here's a, a great quote. Enculturation is a slow journey, which accompanies the whole of missionary life. It involves those working in the church's mission agendas, the Christian communities as they develop and the bishops who have the task of providing discernment and encouragement for its implementation. I just want to give a short example and then, and then uh, we'll, we'll go on. But the short example is this. 
we sponsor uh, the same place that Franciscan University does in Honduras. We sponsor the same uh, group of people that we evangelize. They're mountain people. They're Catholic. The Protestant missionaries that have taken about 30% of the population out of the Catholic Church, they don't go to the mountains because they're really hard. to. So we we have Franciscans gone there, and we go six months opposite them. So they go during spring break. We go end of September during October. And so that we can give them the sacraments because a priest can only get there one or two times a year outside of us. Well, so we go there and this is what we do. We set up shop in their churches and we, uh, which are just small rooms and we turn them into a hospital and we celebrate mass and we do VBS and we do all this stuff. And then we have nurses that go up and down and teach moms hygiene and they teach dads, uh, you know, uh, hygiene and other like care stuff and you know, all this stuff. Then the next year, we build a toilet that flushes in the back of the church because the, all their waste is right there next to their drinking water. It's awful. So then we come back, and then we have this brilliant engineer who takes the five-gallon buckets from Home Depot, you know, those like just standard yeah, buckets, sure. and builds a water filter into them so we can mass produce it. Now, every home has a water filter. Now, every home is going to bathrooms sanitarily and is drinking clean, non-parasite-infested water. For the first time in generations, then we fundraise enough money to build a school. So it's not us just bringing our donated clothes and put all the people who sell clothing out of work at the, in the right. local thing. This isn't a toxic mission, but this is what happens. We then devote, then the local government sees the level of activity. Now we built a school. That's the first time in the history of this, this entire village has, they've never had middle school education because they have to walk like, like two hours, three hours to get to the middle school. Now they do. And we fund the teacher's salary. And so now the, the local politicians are like, okay, well, we're going to build they're a here road. They're to stay, and they're serious. <laughs> well, yeah. And he said, we're going to build a road because they have a dirt road. And every monsoon season, it just washes out completely. So you can't get up there except by walking. So then they built a road, right? So now these people have access to healthcare, clean water, all of this stuff that they otherwise never had. But this is what the joy of the gospel does. And I told people, they're like, why do you got to go to Honduras? Is there not enough hurt people here at home? And <laughs> I, I said, I because foreign missions are sexy. <laughs> people will sign up to it. That's exactly it. People are like, ooh, go to another country. It's like, yeah, I mean, we got poverty all over here. Ooh, but another country. It's like, okay, whatever. It's not the same poverty. It's not. Oh, it is definitely not. But to go to another country, that's like, oh, that's cool. You know, travel, all this stuff. But then they go. And I said, I'm not investing just in what good they do there. Right. I'm going to get the people that come yep. home yep. who are now on fire. Right, right. And that's what this enculturated. Right. So I'm not enculturating Honduras. Honduras is enculturating the Absolutely. gospel in the Woodlands. Absolutely. Yeah. I say that all the time. I say yeah. that all the time. That like homeless ministry is so important, not even so much so that we can take care of the homeless, but so that the homeless can encounter us. And in that encounter is Jesus Christ. No man is so rich he has nothing to receive, nor so poor he has nothing to give. Let me guess. JP2. Oh, okay. <laughs> you thought I was going to say GK Chesterton. No, what he said was, just kidding. <laughs> All right, let's roll it out. What is our practical things that we're going to leave our good folks with? You know what? I think we should just do one because okay. it's so important. And that is, let's bring up again the idea of personal witness. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this idea of what your personal witness is. But then I also want you to think of something you might have to teach to someone, like a doctrine, like mm. maybe Mary or the Eucharist, and figure out how you'd weave personal witness into that. One of the ways to do this is to think about the pitfalls that you went through intellectually. Yeah. Like, I really had a harder time believing this, but then. Or 
to talk about how it was an evangelizing moment for you to learn this doctrine. Can I give one more? Yeah. Okay. This is going to be kind of rude, but I think it's worth. Now, if you're thinking about your testimony and, uh, <laughs> and it's a terrible witness, uh, maybe you've been living a too safe version of Christianity right? Yeah. and maybe you should go and uh, start serving people on the margins and, and let the Holy spirit work through you. Give the Holy spirit your yes today. If you haven't done that. Amen. Right. Yeah. All right. This has been every knee shall bow. We are one step away from wrapping up this document. Then we're going to dive into two episodes on Veritatis Splendor. Thank you for joining us so far. The journey continues. God bless. 